welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your host, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. You're listening to Latin Waves. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson. I'm delighted to be joined by Yves Engler. Thank you for joining us, Yves. Now, many people have long, um, you know, been overwhelmed by the COVID pandemic, by, you know, mining issues in Canada, by, you know, wars abroad. But few people hear in the news about Palestine. Can we talk a little bit about why this part of the world seems silenced and yet its people have been under constant aggression for decades? The simple answer is that uh, Canada is, uh, is, uh, and the U.S. are, are, are complicit, uh, have enabled uh, Israeli Zionist dispossession of Palestinians for uh, you know, more than a century. Uh, and so um, there's just so many different ways in which uh, we're complicit in the uh, the racism, the violence, the injustice, dispossession. Those different uh, ways. It's a go. You can have a talk for hours and hours. I go over all of them. But but from from the simple, um, uh, uh, you know, just a couple of days ago, the Trudeau government uh, withdrew from the. Uh, UN International UN uh, Racism Conference. It's uh, connected to the Durban process uh, because the previous conference, you know, was viewed as too much criticism of Israel. Uh, to uh, the fact that there's, you know, charities in this country that um, register Canadian charities is subsidized by the Canadian taxpayer that uh, that uh, raise more than a quarter billion dollars a year sent to Israel-focused projects. Some of those projects support the Israeli military. Some of those projects support explicitly racist institutions in Israel. Some of those projects support West Bank settlements, which is supposed to be against, all that's supposed to be against Canadian charity law, yet they still can still have registered, uh, they still have their ability to provide uh, tax breaks to, to Canadian donors. There's Canadians recruited uh, for the IDF, uh, a couple hundred Canadians that are in the Israeli military. Uh, you have law on the books in Canada, the Foreign Enlistment Act, that says it's illegal to recruit for a foreign military, yet you have open, explicit recruiting taking place by both the Israeli consulate and um, uh, United Jewish, Jewish Appeal of Toronto, a major, uh, major charitable organization, uh, as well as uh, less explicit recruitment taking place by other, other, other groups. Um, so there's just, you know, Canada has a trade agreement with Israel that includes the West Bank, where, you know, in the legal Israeli settlements, that includes the Israeli custom laws are applied uh, on uh, uh, products that are produced in illegal Israeli settlements, which i.e. I, uh, supposedly the Palestinian, you know, state. So, you know, there's just an endless uh, uh, examples of how uh, Canada has uh, coddled, has uh, enabled uh, Zionist uh, Israeli 
um, dispossession of Palestinians. So, so you know, when when the the, the subject comes up in the dominant media in this country, uh, it's uh, it's almost entirely you know sort of a skewed uh, perspective. It downplays the you know history of colonialism. It, it acts like it's sort of two equal sides. Whenever an Israeli is killed, it gets you know ten times more attention than than, than a Palestinian, etc. Uh, etc. Et um, but uh, but yeah, so Canada is, uh, you know, for a long, long time before the creation of Israel, has been um, has been heavily uh, uh, tied to uh, to the, the Zionist movement's uh, dispossession of Palestinians. You know, it strikes me that whenever there is um, in Canada, you know, a, a murder, someone dies, you know, there's a lot of news reported, you know, and yet, you know, we we've seen that in this last attack by Israelis, at least 50 Palestinians have been killed. And to me, um, the problem is not just the people are being killed and the impunity of it. Right, the impunity with which the government not only causes us to be blind to it because our news media won't report it, uh, people won't know, and so um, making a people feel isolated, like they're alone, I think is part of the imperial um, tactic of you know divide and conquer, and so. For those who have been hiding under a rock and don't know the history of Palestine and how Israeli um, government has been implanted there and taken Palestinian lands, can you give us a brief uh, history lesson where people can self-locate you know, and understand the level of displacement that has taken place against Palestinians? Yeah, I mean, basically, what uh, Israel is is a um, uh, a uh, very uh, it's a twentieth century um, European colonial project. Uh, I'm you know kind of similar in some ways to the earlier European colonial projects that took place in Canada and the U.S., where you know, Europeans came and displaced indigenous people and they displaced them in through all kinds of different means, uh, but always with the you know, violence as being um, either direct or hovering uh, quite closely in the background. That's what uh, Israel is. And, you know, it, the, it's only been successful because of its back, having the backing of the most important empire of the day, the British empire, which, you know, Canadians were involved in 1917. Um, in conquering Palestine, hundreds of Canadians fought to conquer Palestine for the for the British. It was actually a Canadian general that that uh, led a, 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 a what was ultimately a, a, a first attempt that failed um, to, to capture Gaza, and a later attempt succeeded. And then you know after World War II, I mean uh, the the Zionist movement um, initially didn't have majority support among the Jewish community within Europe. Um, presented as just a sort of defense of, 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 of European anti-Semitism, and, and that's an important part of it. But it, it comes out of um, late late 1800s nationalism and imperialism like, that's flowing through Europe at that period. Um, so the reality is there's a long history, a pre, predating history of, uh, of anti-Jewish uh, uh, policies in Europe. Um, and the reason why Zionism becomes viewed as the, the response to, to that that uh, those uh, discriminatory policies 
um, is because of nationalism sweeping across Europe. And it's a time when, you know, Italy and Germany have just been uh, united as countries and, and where um, um, there's a scramble for Africa taking place from 1885 to, to uh, a 20-year period. The African continent goes from about 10% European run to 90% European run. And, and so basically, um, um, a form of Jewish nationalist imperialism, which is essentially what, what Zionism is, uh, uh, Jewish nationalist colonialism, maybe better put, um, uh, develops and it, it gets supported by the British Empire. And, uh, and then alongside that, you have you know, the, the horrors of World War II and huge numbers of Jewish uh, immigrants from Europe. Um, that the you know, North American countries don't want to don't want to take, and they they again go into Palestine. So you have a large enough number of Europeans of settlers, um, and then they get all kinds of backing from Canada, the U.S., and others diplomatically at the UN after World War II, and they they create a they create a state, and as part of creating that state, they uh, they ethnically cleanse uh, somewhere between seven and eight hundred thousand uh, Palestinians over multiple multiple month period in 1947 and 1948 um, they create a state and, and that state has been uh, since that time uh, born of, of you know violent ethnic cleansing um, it has uh, continued to be an incredibly belligerent uh, force you know it is a small country fairly small population but it's been involved in invading and bombing uh, pretty much every country in the region uh, multiple occasions you know from Egypt to Lebanon to Iraq to Tunisia to uh, Syria, um, uh, and you know the worst victims have always been the Palestinians um, who were driven from their homes in 47, 48. Um, some small percentage was able, you know, were able to stay within what became known as Israel proper. Uh, and then in 1967, Israel conquered even more of historic Palestine. The, the remaining 22% of historic Palestine and drove hundreds of thousands more Palestinians from their home. Um, and since that time, uh, they've been, you know, occupying uh, Palestinian lands. You know, Gaza is a little bit more complicated uh, because it's it's sort of not under the a formal occupation, but it effectively is under uh, Israel has control over its airspace, over its uh, coasts. Um, it's basically kind of people locked in there, um, primarily because of Israel, secondarily because of Egypt. And so there's been this incredible flagrant injustice uh, um, uh, for the Palestinians. And, uh, you know, that comes right up until today where, you know, Israel's stealing more Palestinian homes and East Jerusalem, which is supposed to be part of the, the Palestinian state that Canada claims it supports, other countries claim they support, stealing more Palestinian homes. Israel's dominating the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, the you know, third most uh, holy mosque in Islam, um, and you know, violently dis- uh, displacing people who are you know, praying in the mosque in recent days. And then uh, it leads to uh, an escalation with... with uh, um, Hamas in, in, in Gaza, which which uh, you know, most people in Gaza were driven from their homes. I mean, most I think about 60 percent plus of the people who live in Gaza were people who were driven from their homes in 47, 48 within Israel um, and put into this very small strip of land. And so, you know, the, the injustices of Zionism and the Israeli government are, you know, are just so stark 
Um, and now we have a situation where uh, things have escalated into a, into a, you know a, a, a conflict, a military conflict between uh, some of the forces within within Gaza. Um, and the Israeli military, and of course, you know, Israel kills, has already killed uh, you know, 65 Palestinians, including 15 children uh, in Gaza. And uh, it, all indications look like it's going to get, you know, it's going to further escalate. Um, but what's important, I think, most of all for, for people who are in Canada to, to keep in mind, is the extent to which Canada has contributed to the dispossession of Palestinians historically, and right up until today, where you just have so many different ways in which the King government, from you know simple statements, right? If you just listen to what Justin Trudeau says about what's going on, it's completely divorced from reality. It, it acts like you know there's more Israelis that are killed. In fact, there's way more Palestinians killed. It acts like there's you know some equivalence between the the oppressive colonial state and the uh, impoverished uh, colonized. Um, it acts, you know, just completely divorced from 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 reality. And frankly, it's even there are statements that are even even you know even politicians in like other European countries are are, are way more sort of reasonable. Canada's right at the extreme edge with the uh, with the U.S. and maybe Australia, and, um, a very very small number of others um, in these just just uh, diplomatic backing that's that's uh, kind of unique. And then if you're just going through all kinds of other forums from weapon sales to Israel to, to subsidies that the research subsidies that Canada Israel uh, research accords to uh, other things I mentioned earlier from you know illegal recruitment of Canadians to fight an IDF to all these charities hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of charities I estimated since 1967 when Canada brought in its current form of uh, uh, tax subsidies for, for donations to charitable organizations, about $5 billion in Canadian money has been channeled to Israel. Um, and so that would put about a third of that would be uh, subsidized by the Canadian taxpayer. So something like $1.5 billion of Canadian taxpayer money that's been that's been uh, funneled to Israel. Now, Israel is now, it has a GDP equivalent to Canada's. Right, so it's it's GDP. So there's no other country in the world where there's like we're supporting universities and and uh, the symphony and uh, and the Red Cross and the, like all the different institutions within Israel. They have like a Canadian Friends of group that fundraises for those institutions. But you know how much money are we funneling to Japan or Sweden? None. There's basically no charities that are raising money for for projects in Sweden. How many how many uh, groups in Israel are being subsidized by the Israeli government to to support Canadian universities or Canadian symphony or the Canadian or Canadian museums or on and on and on? The Israel uh, uh, coddling or exemption or you know exemption of Canadian law even is quite a unique uh, phenomenon where. There's just uh, so many ways in which the Canadian government, uh, Canadian political, uh, private life um, institutions, should say, uh, enable um, this uh, this colonial project. Many people would argue that you know the UN, um, it's you know the you know this body right that represents our so-called democratic processes. Um, can you speak to the 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 level? of complicity that this so-called international body has participated in. You know, they did call 
uh, the UN Security Council did make a statement calling for a ceasefire, you know, against Israel, you know, declaring that this was obviously a crime and an act of war and they call for a ceasefire. But yet immediately, you know, the U.S. blocked this measure. Um, how is it possible that, you know, five countries can have so much power to silence what the majority of the world, you know, recognizes as a crime? Yeah, well, I mean, at the, at the Security Council, uh, with regards to uh, the recent days in in, uh, in Palestine, uh, it was 14, 14 of the 15 members of the Security Council that uh, backed the resolution that um, it was the, the U.S. that, that blocked it from moving forward. One thing that's kind of interesting for Canadians, we, we were involved in a campaign against Canada's bid for a seat on the Security Council uh, that was ultimately Canada failed back in last year. Um, and uh, the country, the two countries that won were Norway and Ireland. Norway was the country that actually sponsored the resolution, and Ireland, of course, backed it and actually was involved in uh, potentially sponsoring an earlier version. So uh, if Canada would have won its bid for a seat in the Security Council, there's basically no way, there's no way it would have sponsored the resolution, and there's probably very likely that it would have actually voted against it. Um, so for, for those of us who were involved in this campaign to uh, uh, defeat Canada's bid for a Security Council seat, this was this is a sort of um, uh, proof that, that our, our efforts were, 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 were well used. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Security Council, you know, there's a long history of the Security Council, everyone on the Security Council agreeing to different resolutions to, to basically apply international law um, on uh, illegal Israeli settlements. And the, the one country that, that vetoes those resolutions is the, uh, is the U.S. And, you know, the Security Council is, uh, is, uh, is an undemocratic uh, structure and uh, I, it is a structure that Canada supported way back in the, during the creation of uh, creation of the uh, of the UN to the dismay of many of the uh, most of the smaller countries. Um, uh, but it's definitely a structure that you know needs to be uh, uh, needs to be reformed uh, for for the for the perspective of Palestinians and uh, and many other. Uh, Many other uh, groups that have uh, you know, been uh, colonized and uh, and uh, dispossessed. For many people, you know, the example of uh, imperial powers, you know, dispossessing people. I mean, the people of South Africa were removed from their lands, and we call that apartheid. The people in Turtle Island, you know, have been sent to reservations, and they call it apartheid. You know, and the people in Palestine literally incarcerated within Gaza because they can't exit, they can't get access to what they need, and they're constantly being um, accosted by violence. We've seen the demolition of buildings, we've seen bombings, we've seen, you know, the complete demolition of their sacred, you know, orchards, you know, orchards with olive trees, which in any, to anyone, would be an act of an atrocity of war. So what silenced this crime from being denounced, from being seen as you know, an act of apartheid. Well, I mean, I think it's the you know the different uh, uh, the different power structures. I mean, the dominant media uh, uh, obscures what's going on when they cover it. They obscure what's going on. The the uh, um, different uh, uh, political parties that are you know they go along with it. Um, there's a, uh, a very uh, 
uh, influential Israel lobby in Canada that uh, basically supports no matter what Israel, no matter what, no matter what they do to Palestinians. So there's you know different uh, political forces that are uh, that are aligned against uh, against the you know honesty and, and the crucial discussion because a proper discussion. I mean Canadians already have shown um, support for sanction or, or measures that 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 uh, curtail Canadian support uh, for Israel um, because of its mistreatment of Palestinians. And uh, if there was a you know an honest discussion in the dominant media of uh, of of what's happened to Palestinians and Canada's role in that, it would be uh, um, you know the population would be way more supportive of of, of government changing government policy. But like most issues, uh, it's an information battle. It's a organizational battle. The pro-Palestinian movement over the past uh, decade. A uh, couple decades has, has become way more, way, way better organized than than previously. There's now you know m- multiple organiza- organizations that are, you know, have paid employees that are able to do you know do this work full time. Um, um, so so there's you know big big you know I, I've written about the history of if you go back to 1947-48 where Canada played this really important role uh, diplomatically. In uh, in justifying essentially in justifying ethnic cleansing of of Palestine, effectively providing the Zionist movement with a uh, legitimating their ethnic cleansing uh, with the partition plan. At that point, there was almost no criticism of uh, of Canadian policy. Well, today you you know I was at a demonstration on uh, on, on Monday. It was like three four hundred people uh, in a last minute you know twenty four hour uh, organized demonstration against what's going on right now. There was another one yesterday here in Montreal. There's going to be another one on Saturday. Um, I've been to a number of demonstrations over the years that have been thousands. I think some of the biggest ones here in Montreal have been up to like ten thousand plus. Um, you know, so there's a lot more uh, awareness on the issue. Uh, it's still not enough to really tip the scales. Uh, but like I, like I was talking about, you know, if you look at the NDP convention recently, some of that activism that's been building up over years, decades, is starting to, you know, trickle into uh, uh, you know, a major political party. And that's starting to you know, have some effect on uh, the, the broad uh, uh, um, uh, political culture. Um, um, so yeah, the, you know these, the uh, the Israel lobby, the uh, the dominant media, the political parties that are that are you know supportive of the status quo, um, they uh, they uh, they're not uh, they're certainly not uh, all powerful. They they uh, have been able to uh, shape policy and shape the discussion, but increasingly um, their ability to do so is uh, is weakening. I love that you bring us to this. You know, the immensity of the struggle, right? How hard and how dangerous it has been for Palestinian people. And yet, also remind us of the power of people power, you know? When people are organized, when people mobilize, we can literally, you know, move move things in a different direction. Um, how do you keep engaged? How do you keep energized and motivated to to see this because I mean this is a, a struggle that has began long before you were alive and uh, hopefully we'll see an end to it in your lifetime and and yet you know it's it's not about how soon or how fast we win but 
you know, what we lose when we don't engage, you know, in, in justice, right? In the, in, in the vision, in the dream of having a world where people are not oppressed and, and we're silenced, we're, we're, you know, where we're not witness who just watch in silence. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that completely. That that there's a, you lose a little bit of yourself by uh, by turning away, right? By just you know trying to act like this massive injustice is not taking place. And I can tell you on a personal level, um, you, there there can be consequences, right? There can be a lot of attacks, personal attacks for for really uh, uh, challenging uh, the dominant narrative on this on this issue so i think that that's you know that's important but it's also uh, you know when you look at the injustice right you know i just uh, on the so it, uh, image making a, uh, rounds online about uh, a little maybe 10 8 10 12 year old boy uh, in gaza who's uh, i guess is you see his, his father has just been killed and he's at uh, he's kind of like realizing or he's um, he's sort of seeing uh, just as, you know his, his dad's death, and just sort of seeing the look on this kid and how kind of horrible uh, it all is. And then when you know a bit of the history of you know, what brings us to this today of his father being killed, um, you know it's uh, you know it's not just uh, you know anyone being killed in almost any circumstances is a is a, is a um, you know, it's a heart-wrenching thing, but when you, you know, see that this is really, this is the, actually just the outgrowth of a century-long uh, uh, dispossession process that, uh, you know, continues right up until today to the point where this, this 10-year-old is, you know, going to have to deal the rest of his life with his father being being killed, um, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to, uh, it's pretty hard to turn away. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, a mix of, uh, Knowing about the issue and 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 sort of knowing the history, but also kind of seeing some of the uh, the um, the real toll. It's not just some ab- abstraction. You know, in one sense, in my life, it is a bit of an abstraction. But when you see uh, the the young kid whose uh, father's just been killed, um, and then another side is is the fact that you see that there is really there is a lot of activism going on in this issue. There has been, and I've seen it my lived through twenty years of the growing consciousness on the issue and and growing organizational uh, um, uh, power uh, of pro-Palestinian movement. And, and there's a lot of factors in, in, um, in wanting to uh, you know, engage and campaign on this issue. Thank you so much for all your work, for all the ways that you keep our memories awake and willing to remember, you know, and engage in the process of remembering because violence is what's forcing us to forget the violence of hunger, the violence of unemployment, the violence of, you know, being singled out. And, uh, but, but to me, the community is immunity. You know, the only way we are strong is in communion with others, in community with those. And, it matters what we do. It matters what we fail to do. And so for me, I think nobody gets to live forever, but it matters how we live. So I appreciate you for all the work and all the ways that you have dedicated your efforts to awakening our memory. So thank you. How can people access your book? How can people join uh, some of they're, they're available at uh, many of the different uh, uh, bookstores and libraries. Uh, my website is evengler.com, Y-V-E-S-E-N-G-L-E-R.com. Uh, and if people are interested in 
you know, Canadian foreign policy issues more broadly, people can check out foreignpolicy.ca, which is the website of the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. Um, so foreignpolicy.ca. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you, Celia. Take care. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows, to access resources, or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement. Thank you and bye for now.